Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is the text that we have been in during this How to Pray series. It says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So over the past several weeks, we've looked at this prayer from Jesus, this lesson that he taught his followers. We've explored in detail, and you can go back on First Sundays and House Church Sundays. You can see in our podcast or on our YouTube channel. You can see it on our website, the different ways that we've talked about each phrase. I hope that you've been able to do that and see how these phrases teach us how to pray, but also teach us some things about our conceptions about prayer. And and our conceptions about prayer that we have are so similar, I think, to the conceptions of prayer that the ancient people had. And that's why I think this prayer isn't just an ancient prayer that we recite and we learn, but it's a prayer that has so much importance in our lives today. Because it speaks to things that sometimes we we get mixed up about as we think about God. So some of the ways that we think about that is the ancient world, the ancient world thought about God as, as distant. The ancient world thought about God as maybe asleep. Uh, People would think that, well, I need to wake God up. You know, God isn't interested in me. God isn't active all the time. You know, maybe maybe God is asleep. Maybe God isn't paying attention. Uh, Maybe God is distant from me. Maybe God doesn't even care. So we talked about how people would use all these different words and they would come up with all these phrases and trying to figure out ways that they could uh, impress God. And then as they tried to impress God, they would try to impress other people with all the words that they would say. So Jesus, in this moment, I think it's so incredible. He he looks and he says, listen, God already knows everything you need before you even ask. And right there was just this like lightning bolt moment for people. I think it would have just been a huge shift. Wait, God, God is already listening God already loves me. God already knows what I need before I even ask. And and so then Jesus goes on and he says, listen, you can come to God. He's he's already caring. He already loves. So this prayer teaches us then to pray, to experience God's love. We experience God's provision. We experience God's forgiveness. Forgiveness. We, we trust God then to, to lead our lives as he leads us away from the sinful desires built on selfishness and instead to a life aimed at glorifying God as we reflect that same love, that same provision, that same forgiveness, grace, mercy, and justice into our world. If there is nothing else that you have hear, heard me said during this series... If you're brand new for the first time today, you haven't listened to any of this, and you thought, oh, I came at the end of a series, then let me just sum it up this way. We experience, this prayer teaches us to turn to God, to experience his grace, to experience his provision, to experience his love. And then this prayer teaches us, we are then to reflect that back into our world. And sometimes something happens between this part and the reflecting part, right? 
Sometimes we can say, okay, I can accept God's love, his forgiveness, his provision in my life, and then something breaks when we go to reflect that into our world. Something happens within us, and I think the traditional ending to this prayer helps us to see what happens there and teaches us something that helps us to continue that reflecting. Listen how this prayer recited by Christians for centuries has traditionally sounded like, and many of you may know this, and you can say it along with me as I read it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, you've been around church, you just walk right into that ending. But then you go, wait a minute, that wasn't in what Jesus said. Where, where did that part come from? So you'll notice this prayer has the additional lines of, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. And you won't find the, these words in the scripture that we just read in Matthew 6. These lines aren't found in the version that we find in the book of Luke either. But these lines have been a part of this prayer for almost as long as this prayer has been written down and for as long as this prayer has been said. Now, Matthew and Luke, and this is what's so fascinating about this, Matthew and Luke weren't the only uh, people to write this down. It's not the only place that we find this prayer. Those books were most likely written towards the end of the first century. So the church then, right, the church had existed for many, 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 many years before we get that. Now, I find this fascinating because I open up the Bible and I go, man, I am reading the words of people who were experiencing what things were like in the first century after Jesus' resurrection. And I think these people are trying to figure it out just like you and me. And they're going, what do I do with this? How, how do I do this? So you're, you're literally seeing people wrestling with the idea of faith, literally wrestling with the idea of resurrection, wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so we look at these books and we come to this, to this teaching. We see that what Matthew and Luke had written down. But what we find is that these aren't the only people and these weren't the only books that were written talking about the way of Jesus. In addition to our Bibles, we have documents that were shared among churches, but I want to be careful about this, but weren't seen as people as equally inspired as the text in Scripture. Okay, so I want to be careful today to help you to see that we look at the New Testament, we see the books there, we see that there are a group of people that say these are equally inspired. Now, some people say, well, those were all chosen, you know, by some dudes, you know, that were all sitting together, and they were like, these are the books we're going to pick. And I want to be really cautious about that. There's a really cynical way to understand that. But there's also this understanding that instead what was happening was they actually looked and said, these are already the books that these communities of faith have been sharing with each other, that they have seen and watched God work through them. 
These books had meaning. They had inspiration. They, they, They were pushing people further into faith. And that's what we find with the books of the New Testament. Something happens when in community together, we read those words, explore them, seek to understand them, and see how they connect with our faith, right? Isn't that true? But, and this is what's cool, there are all these other documents, stuff that people were sharing back and forth, trying to figure out the practices of the way of Jesus, giving each other ideas and, and saying, hey, this is, this is a way that we could do this. This is a way we could organize. This is a way we could worship. This is a way that you need to think about your faith. And one of those documents is so cool because it's one of the first places where we see the Lord's Prayer, where we see these words added, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So think about this. This, this is so super cool. I mean, this is incredible. I love this. I love reading Matthew and being like, okay, so they're writing down the words of Jesus as he taught them how to pray. And at the same time they're writing that down, there's a a document that goes out among churches saying this is how you should say this prayer. And then all of a sudden you realize that added to it, right at the very end, all these communities following Jesus all began to say that prayer and then added this, this this phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Now, that document is a fascinating document. It's called the Didache. A Didache is just simply the Greek word for teaching. It's a transliteration, kind of like the word baptism. I love to talk about baptism because people go, well, baptism is a really weird word. What 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 is baptism all about? We've talked about baptism is the Greek word baptizo, which simply meant to wash or to dunk or to clean. And so you would take your vegetables and you would literally baptizo them in your sink. So later today, when you're washing some vegetables, it's okay. I baptize you in the name of the Father. The Son. I really don't want you to do that. Don't, don't do that. That's weird. But that's the idea. It's just a simple word. It's a word people used. They'd be like, hey, I'm going out to baptizo, right? But it also had incredible spiritual implications had some kind of meaning. So the translators of the scriptures are like, well, it's not good enough just to use the word dunk. We're not just going to stick dunk in there. Let's, let's use this word. Let's transliterate it into, into a new word because it's rich in meaning. It's going to cause people to go, that's a weird word. I don't know that word. Good. We process it. We think about it. Baptism. The same is true of the Didache. It just means teaching. But some dude was sitting around and he's like, you know what? The teaching sounds weird sounds a little pretentious. We'll use the word didache. We will transliterate this word. Now, maybe that seems a little strange, but maybe it seemed a little cooler to say didache. Well, again, didache, it's fascinating. This, this, whole, this whole document that got shared is incredible. It starts out like this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. This is didache chapter one. There are two ways of life, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. The way of life, then, is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And do not do to another what you would want done to you. So this is so cool because you can hear the teaching of Jesus in here. You can hear the oral tradition of people saying, hey, so Jesus said this one time. Somebody's like, oh, oh, that's good. We, we should live like that. 
They're like, well, actually, love God, love others. He said, this is like the main commands. Somebody's like, well, how do you, how do you love other people? And he's like, well, Jesus took care of that too. You probably treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. Like, it's pretty simple. So, like, there's two ways. If you live that way, that's called life. If you live the other way, that's called death. So we hear the teaching of Jesus in here, and the same is true then as we pop down to the section on prayer. So this is the Didache, chapter 8. But let not your fast be like the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and the fifth day of the week. Rather, fast on the fourth day and the day of preparation. Do not pray like the hypocrites, but rather as the Lord commanded in his gospel like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we have also forgiven our debtors. And bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Pray this three times each day. So we hear the pieces that Jesus taught about prayer here. And then do you notice we also see some additional practices? So, some, some things about instructions on fasting. Uh, the days that you should do it. How many times that you should pray during the day. And some of these practices then became a part of the early church because this is the life of church. This is what happens, isn't it? Somebody says, well, how do I do that? And you have the very organized people. Is anybody really organized, detailed, like, I need to know. Ryan, you told me I should pray this prayer. How many times should I pray this prayer? Man, the Didache's instruction is for you. That's who wrote it. They're sitting there going, well, the right way to do this would be three times. And Bill is over there. He's like, uh, I think it should be four. You know, somebody else is like, it's twice. Guys, you're missing the point. The whole point is to pray the prayer, right? Like, this is human condition going on here. So as this entered the life of the church, People were like, oh, that makes sense. We should do those practices. And then other people were like, oh, you guys are putting way too much emphasis on the times. Can we just pray the prayer? And so people started to say, you know, maybe this document is just a really nice document. <laughs> but may maybe this doesn't need to be like the thing for everybody all the time. Right? People are like, thank you. Thank you. So we come to this, and we see this, and then, and then what we see is we see that people were praying this prayer, right? This is so cool. I, I just love this. I love this to think about, guys. 2,000 years ago, people are praying this prayer. And then they brought it in all different kinds of contexts. They brought it into all different kinds of places, traveling the world, sharing the good news of Jesus. And with them, they, bought, they brought this prayer and added to it everywhere they went, from the Didache all the way forward. Through history, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we see this, it's not like the people in the decay just pulled this from nowhere. It's not like some dude was sitting around and he's like, you know, Jesus made a really bad ending there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And... So you kind of think, well, did somebody sit around and they were like, well, we should find a cool way to end it. Hey, guys, I have an idea. You know what we should do? Let's add for thine kingdom. Somebody else is like, the power! You know, right? And somebody else is like, the glory! Amen! We got it. That is not how it happened. What happened was they actually took it from Scripture. 
Because here's what's super cool. It was common practice to add things like this to the endings of prayer. You might call it a hymn. It's like a short hymn that you would add to the end. Jill and I were driving last night. Maybe it was too late. We've been in Fountain Square with some friends, and we're driving home, and we start talking about the sermon. We're talking about church, and I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer, and Jill's like, every time you start thinking about the Lord's Prayer, she said, I start singing at the end. So in the car, driving down Raymond Street, headed towards Southeastern, we're going, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And I mean, I'm, in so, I'm just so in love with my wife that this happened in that moment. She's harmonizing with me. It's like a choir in our car. We get to the end, amen. I'm like, I love you. They would add this, right? So there's like this powerful moment that you get to the end. And maybe you don't know that song. That's, that's totally fine. I'll teach it to you another time. But you come to the end there, and it's like a hymn. Some people call it a doxology. Okay? They would do this. They would just add these to the ends of prayers. And this one actually comes from the scriptures. We go all the way back to the Hebrew scriptures, to 1 Chronicles 29.11, to some words that are uh, given to, to D- King David. And this is what he said. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted. It is head over all. So these people who are learning the Lord's Prayer, who are then writing down in the Didache, saying, how should we say this prayer? What does it look like? Said, you know, it needs a doxology. We need something at the end that helps us to kind of wrap the whole thing together into one. And they look through the scriptures, and I, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how God moved them to this scripture. I don't know if somebody shouted it out. I don't know if somebody in the corner just started singing. But all of a sudden, they come to this point, and they say, these are the Listen to what David said. You know, David, as he was in this moment of worship, says, yours is the greatness and the power. Yours is the glory and the majesty, the splendor. Everything is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you're exalted, his head over all. So as we close up, this is what I want to do. I don't want us to be some kind of weird place where we say, well, Jesus didn't say those words, so we'll throw them away. I want us to say this is why these words have been a part of the tradition of this prayer for so long and why it's so critical for us to say them. And not only that, not just because of tradition, but how they help us move from accepting God's grace, love, and forgiveness, and mercy, and justice, and then turning and sharing that with our world. How does this do that for us? So let's walk slowly through these words today and why we incorporate them. Let's start with the word for. (laughs) you're probably like, are you going to talk about commas too? Let's see. Four. Four is telling us why we can pray all that we pray in the Lord's Prayer. God's kingdom, power, glory, majesty, splendor. It already belongs to God. So when we pray these words, we're praying that we trust God to do what we're asking because we believe that God has the power to answer our prayer. So our prayer isn't said in some kind of emptiness. It's also not said out of our own strength because we're not strong enough for that. 
The prayer is said out of God's majesty, his glory, his power, his strength. I'm saying I'm praying all these things for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And so we don't pray this hoping or wishing, but knowing in faith. Does that make sense? We don't pray it hoping, oh, I hope your kingdom comes. No, no, no. <laughs> God's kingdom is coming. I'm praying that I am on board. I am praying that my life is in line with his coming kingdom because he has the power and the glory and the majesty. And then we say a word we don't often use, thine. And I want to keep these words in here. I want to keep this traditional language because when we, we could say yours. We, we, we could say yours. But, but let's stick with thine for a minute because it causes us to pause. There are not a whole lot of people that we say thine about. My wife has never walked in and said, thine is your yard. That would be weird, right? Nobody does that. But when I say thine is the kingdom, it makes me pause. It makes me stop for a minute. And what I recognize is it's God's power. It's not mine. It's God, God's will. It's not mine. It's God's kingdom, not mine. Jesus is the Lord of your life, not yourself. I know this sounds corny. Prepare. Get ready. It's thine. It's not mine. And I'm going to make you say it. Ready? It's thine. It's not mine. So every time you say this prayer is we're really making this prayer a part of our lives, I want you to get to that part. For thine, I want you to go, it's thine, not mine. And just remember that idea. It's thine, not mine mine. It's God's kingdom, his power, his glory. So whose kingdom do I have allegiance to? Is it mine? Is it something else? Is it somebody else's? Is it God's will? Will I give my life to his kingdom of grace, justice, and mercy? Will I use any power and influence I have for God's good purpose in this world, or will I use power, influence, money, resources for my kingdom? Man, and this speaks to us in suburbanite world because it is real easy to build your own kingdom. To say, my little spot, my little acreage, this is my kingdom. I'm surprised we don't have more castle-looking things built in the suburbs because we love to build our own kingdoms. And really, it doesn't matter where you live. You can live in the city. You can live in an apartment. You can live out in rural communities. There's something about humanity that says, I want my kingdom. And we have to remind it, it's not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And everything filters through that idea. If I put God first, if I say these resources come from you and are yours, right, then I'm reminded it's, it's not mine. It's God's. I mean, I mean, we talk about, this is why we talk about giving. This is why it's so important because there's something about, and I always say give cheerfully, give gratefully, give when you can feel it. Because when you give to organizations that are doing good around the world, that are making a meaningful difference, when you give to your church community, there's something about feeling it that says, it's not, it's, this, this stuff isn't mine. This is God's. I mean, your church has the same experience, guys. As we look at our, at our resources that we have, and we say there's something important about what has come in, We've pledged to give 10% out the door to organizations that matter. At the end of the year, we were in the red because we gave to, to someone who was giving resources to Ukraine, some missionaries we support. Taking 40 trips. They took 40 trips. Sorry, I have to tell you this. This is so cool. 
They took 40 trips to Hungary into Ukraine taking humanitarian aid. And we gave to support them and we'll continue to give to support them as they do that. And that's hard. That's hard as leadership in the church because our resources are low right now. You guys get the weekly. You see where we're at. But we have pledged to give to support organizations around the world because it's not ours. It's God's. It's what we do out there that matters, right? It's, it's thine, not mine. Finally, we reflect on his glory. Will my life reflect his glory? At the end of the day, you and I are meant to bring honor and glory to God with our lives. Not seeking our own glory, but God's glory, which is why we say, hallowed be your name. Psalm 115.1 says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. One of my favorite things that we came back after the pandemic, and many of you probably, you know, you've been around Southeast or you've seen Southeast, and before the pandemic, setup took a lot longer. We were able to actually move the service to 10 o'clock, which I think is a great time for us, by the way. We are able to move to 10 o'clock because we have all this extra time in the morning because we're not setting up all this stuff we used to set up. And you know whose idea it was to set all that stuff that we used to set up? It was my idea. I was like, you know what we really need? Let's put some curtains on the windows in the back. Ryan, do we really need to do that? Yes, let's get a ladder. Let's put some stuff up. We had some lights up here that we'd put up. We would do all this stuff. We came back and I said, man, we don't need all that crap. <laughs> we meet in a cafeteria and we're here to worship Jesus. So I called a friend down at Camp Challenge, which is a, a kid's camp that our kids go to. And I said, hey, can you guys use some stuff? He's like, yeah. I said, take all these lights. What do you want from them? Take them. You guys use them. I know you guys can use these. By the way, do you want a bunch of drapes or anything? Because we have bucket loads of these stupid curtains that we've used from all the different places. He goes, I don't want those. Somebody take them or there's going to be a huge bonfire in my backyard of all these curtains, which is probably an, eco or an ecological disaster, right? But there's something about recognizing. Why? Why? Come on, man, we don't need a show. We're not here to impress anybody. It's not for our glory. We don't need to show off to anybody. Haze and lights and all this junk. We need to worship Jesus and His glory. And the biggest secret of all is 99% of the time, that doesn't happen here. Showing the world His glory happens in our neighborhoods, it happens in our houses, it happens how we treat people at work or at school. Showing his glory is how we live out the faith and the life of Jesus. We explore the way of Jesus here. We learn the way of Jesus in this place, together, in community. We learn it in our homes as we gather together and wrestle through the scriptures together. We learn, honestly, we, we learn about what it looks like to be followers of Jesus anytime we gather together, but we live out his glory when we go out into this world and live like Jesus. We talked about hallowed be thy name and this whole idea that we're praying, may your name be hallowed by the way I live my life. Let me not live my life in such a way that I denigrate the name of God. Our kids who are in youth are going to remember this because we had a great talk about this, right? 
We had an awesome talk about the idea that so often Christians are known for denigrating God's name because of how they treat other people in this world. Instead of people saying, man, that God that you serve, <laughs> he must be a God of love. <laughs> he must be a God of mercy and forgiveness. And too often people have been like, man, that God must be really hateful, and really judgmental. Because that's how it seems like a lot of Christians are like. I don't want to be that. This is why I think this matters. This is why I think this church matters. I think the people that we become matter so much. Not what we do in here, but what we do out there. Right? Right? Yeah. And so we end this then. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And then we come to this. I love this. Forever and ever. Amen. Today, as we were singing that song, Glory to God Forever, I was complaining to the band. I said, man, I have a hard enough time singing on key, and there is nothing worse than a song that has a line that ends in forever, because you can't, I mean, there's no way to sing three syllables like that and stay in key. It does not happen. Forever, though. And every time I sang it, I was like, man, I love that word, though. Forever and ever. Now, nothing lasts forever, right? Jesus talked about this, nothing lasts forever. We won't last forever. But here's what does last forever. God's kingdom, power, and glory last forever. So we're reminded to participate in that eternal reality of his kingdom that lasts forever. So we work for his kingdom in his power, for his glory, in our lives through Jesus working through us to bring his eternal kingdom, his eternal goodness, his eternal love, his eternal justice into this world. As I've said before, our responsibility, as I can see it as followers of Jesus, is to drag as much eternal love and goodness and justice and mercy into this present reality as I possibly can. Not through my own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working through my life. If I could sum up the work of a follower of Jesus, that is the work that we do. Dragging into this broken world his goodness and his mercy and his grace. A passage we read earlier in the series says this as it gives a glimpse of the hope to come. Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And, they will be, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is a picture. This is a glimpse. This is a hope written by a group of people who are suffering and needing hope and said, you know what, this isn't the reality, this is not the forever, what we're experiencing here is not the forever, the forever is this, no more crying, no more death, no more pain, a place where God makes all things new. That is forever. And then, the guy shouts out from the back of the room, amen, or so be it, or may it be so. It'd be weird in church if Cheryl started yelling out, so be it, right? You'd be like, what? When Cheryl yells out, amen, you're like, I get that. That makes sense to me, right? I get that. But it just means so be it. 
May it be so. May everything that we just said in this prayer be exactly as we said it. May all of this happen. His forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his provision. May it be accepted by me. And may I recognize, man, it's not mine. It's yours. So I'm going to give it away to this world. I'm going to accept your love, your forgiveness, your provision. Share it with the world because it's not mine. It's thine. God, as we enter this season, help us to reflect on that to see the way that you work within us, the way that you are making us new and making all things new. May we, God, go out, live this prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.